She's not tanning, look at us go Watching pitch perfect, twilight is torn, man Weekend is gone, watching her love Rose that went by that you don't know And I can't drink her, this is her time Away we go, mm -hmm. away we go Away we go, mm -hmm. the Annie Kendrick show Hello everyone and welcome back to Kicking It With Kendrick, episode 5 I believe. Uh, this is a show where we talk everything about Kendrick, specifically Anna, at least in this episode. I guess this is our last of the very minor roles of Anna Kendrick that we will be covering. I mean, I guess you could you could consider elsewhere a major role, but yeah, this is Scott Pilgrim that we're going to talk about today. This is the last one where she's like, not a major role. She plays Scott's sister. But Scott's sister is, like, basically not in the movie. That's not true. But she's, like, extremely minor. Yeah, mostly seen over a phone call, I believe. And then yeah. a couple in-person scenes that are relatively short. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, directed by Edgar Wright, who must have loved the comic series that this is based on. Uh, I don't know how many there are, but it was pretty big at the time, right? Yeah, it was a pretty out. major indie comic. Brian Leo Malley, guy over in Toronto, wrote this. It is a comic that is aggressively Canadian. Mm. It's like very tuned into a very specific generation, like lots of video game references. The way that it is, is like very over the top. A lot of the humor is very random, but I would say in not a completely stupid way. Mm. It's just very unique. And I don't know if... I would say that the comic lends itself immediately to Edgar Wright's style. When I'm reading the comic, if I was reading it in 2006 when it came out, I don't know if I would have picked it up and gone, yes, Edgar Wright. But I think that clearly he liked it. And I think that it ended up working with his style quite well. I just don't know if it would have been the obvious choice. Yeah, for sure. Well, Edgar Wright does have a really unique style that is enhanced a lot when making this movie like i guess you said it was different but like would you say like the the general tone of it was the same and just like he took a lot of creative liberties in terms of filmmaking or like was it like a, a purely like just the plot and then he just made it his own thing i think the easiest way for me to explain this is let me just tell you what scott pilgrim versus the world is about scott pilgrim is a series of six graphic novels by brian leo malley and it's about this guy, Scott Pilgrim, I think he's 23 years old in the comic. In the movie, he's 22. Yeah. He is getting over a really bad breakup, and it's been just over a year. He's now in the final phases of getting over this breakup. Like, he hasn't gotten over it because he's literally, it starts with him getting a rebound girlfriend. Mm -hmm. But, like, he's right at the end of getting over this. Shortly after he gets his rebound girlfriend, he uh, meets another girl named Ramona Flowers cheats on his girlfriend with Ramona Flowers. But then like the next day, he finds out that in order to date Ramona Flowers, he has to defeat seven of her previous exes. It's originally introduced as ex-boyfriends, but Ramona makes a point to point out that it's exes, not ex-boyfriends. Mm. That's, that's the main plot. 
going through the whole book and the book sort of follows these characters through one whole year of their lives wherein every now and then Scott will be he'll be sought out by one of those exes and have to defeat them which is usually the plot of a full book there's six books and I think each of the books deals with a different encounter with an ex because two of them come at the same time yeah the the book series goes over the course of an entire year and follows all of these characters. And by the end of the book series, you know, you've been with all these characters. They've all grown and evolved over what is in real time four years because these came out between 2006 and 2010. But in book time is one year of their lives where at the very end, Scott Pilgrim is probably ready for a relationship. His rebound girlfriend has gotten over him after an entire year of stalking. Uh, The people in his band are like moved on as people. One of them didn't make it in Toronto. At its core, it's just a a book series about being in your mid-20s and like being poor in your mid-20s. And it's really touching actually because like I was going through it and I'm like, oh, this is, I don't know if these are specifically relatable to me, but I know all of these people. And that's what this book series is about. The reason I originally started talking about that was... um, Clearly, that is not the same as the movie, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. How long is the comic series itself? Is it like, is, is each section like really big? I would say that like... Or chapter or whatever. Uh, each chapter is probably like 20 pages. And each of the, each of the graphic novels, <laughs> they probably average like 200-ish pages. It's mostly visual. So like, that's not as much content as it seems. I'm, ta- I'm talking about over a thousand pages of content here, but it really doesn't come across as quite that much. But it is a lot of material. Like, it's a lot to adapt. Yeah, so I guess, like, it wouldn't be as straightforward as just taking each of them. Like, maybe as a TV show, but it wouldn't be as straightforward as taking, like, the whole plot. And the plot would obviously have to change a lot to fit inside a movie yeah yeah i think that you could do this as a tv show but i don't think it's a good fit for a tv show because a lot of it is just like not super eventful like there's a whole chapter where scott just helps kim move and like (laughs) it's a good chapter in that chapter you learn more about kim you learn more about scott there's some funny stuff that happens here and there kim's roommates become like a major part of the plot (laughs) but like it wouldn't be a very interesting episode of tv I wouldn't say that every one of these chapters or even like many collections of these chapters would make for a really good TV show. So I think the best way to adapt this, if this were to be adapted, is through a movie. And like, personally, I kind of think Edgar Wright nailed it as much as you can. But it is very different. Uh, As you pointed out earlier, we were talking about this off screen and I said, uh, this movie is not a close adaptation of Scott Pilgrim. But I think it is a good adaptation. They're like there must have been talk of like an animated movie or TV show at some point, especially because I, well, I don't know much about comics and animation, but I feel like the style of art that they used in the comic was very unique, and mm-hmm. it's very like noticeable, and that like it could have ideally been adapted in a movie in a way that would, I guess, capture the soul of the comic more fruitfully. And it's surprising they went directly for like a live action adaptation. I kind of wonder about that because you would think that it would transfer really easily to animation and therefore you would think that animation would be the first avenue there. But 
I have never heard of there being talks of an animated series, but before the movie, there were already several talks of like a video game adaptation. That make a lot of sense, at least in terms of the movie. I don't know if all those references are actually in the 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 comic book is like very video game reference heavy so (laughs) i would say that like video game adaptation is the most obvious way to go with it if you can figure out how to do it but what i was surprised about is the first people to reach out to brian lee o'malley to adapt it as a video game was telltale games known for their like choose your own adventure games basically Mm -hmm. yeah and he was like yeah i don't really see it actually (laughs) And so that's why that didn't happen. And I'm glad it didn't because I don't see it either. The next people to reach out, I don't remember what the studio was called, but it became a really, really, really well-liked PlayStation 3 game that was actually recently in the news, like as as recently as last year, because last year I think was the 10th anniversary of it. Mm-hmm. And it was pulled from the store because the licensing rights had expired. But there was like a big campaign to get the licensing rights back. It has since re-released with all the DLC and it is a fantastic game. Oh, wait, when did this come out? 2010. Wait, so it came out with the movie? Or when when did the movie come out? Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, Edgar Wright and Brian Lee O'Malley were both producers on the game. So like they both had input. So it combines elements of the the, uh, movie with like a lot of elements of the comic that didn't adapt to the movie. Like, I think Knives' dad is in the video game, but he's not in the movie. I know that the way that you fight the twins in the... I don't remember exactly where you fight the twins in the video game, but, like, it's not anything like the movie because they basically don't pop up in the movie. Like, they're there, but it's a very subdued fight. Like, it barely even happens, honestly. <clears throat> was like So was the video game, like, a a creative companion or like a spiritual like partner to the movie or was it can't canonically connected in any way? Like would it enhance the movie experience if you played the video game? Or is it I just definitely like, thought it did spiritual. What did you say? Uh, spiritual companion? partner. Well, yeah, kind of like, like it does it does it help fill in some gaps if you play the video game or something like, I think so. It, the the okay. video game is, it's interesting because I always thought the video game was an adaptation of the movie or at least like an adaptation of the comics in such a way that it was close to the movie. But I think the video game adaptation is actually just a different adaptation of the comics. So like if you play the video game and you watch the movie, you get two different versions of the story. Uh, The video game version of which would technically be closer to the comics, but has like very little story in it because it's mostly just you, you running around fighting guys. But like if you would play both of them, you would get, a more complete story, I think. Or I guess if you play the video game and watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised I've never heard of this video game, honestly. That's really cool. It's it's really um, good, and I definitely mm-hmm. recommend it. I know that I have quite a few friends that don't like the movie, but, like, mm-hmm. I would still recommend the video game. It's really good. Yeah. Well, on, like, honestly, it sounds like... Because you said this is an indie comic? Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's really cool that, I guess, something with, like, not much like i guess branding backing brand backing if that makes sense made such a huge impact on on the industry and uh because like now i feel like there's there's a lot more liberty especially with like if a a comic's based on superheroes or something uh it has a lot more of a chance to be adapted now just because of the superhero craze like i don't know was the boys uh independent or yeah 
The Boys is and independent. Boys is independent. I know Invincible was independent, and that's mm-hmm. currently on Amazon Prime as well. Um, so it's almost like Scott Pilgrim kind of laid the groundwork for these types because it, it was kind of made, I guess, made in the phase where comic book movies were kind of starting to take off, but there was still a lot of hesitance well, about them. But that's also an interesting thing you bring up because while Scott Pilgrim versus the world is a comic book movie, it doesn't exactly feel like a comic book movie. Like it doesn't feel like it's not a comic book movie, if that makes sense. But like, if I only knew about the movie, my first instinct wouldn't be to be like, oh, this is adapted from a comic book, right? Well, there might have, was was there one or two scenes where they kind of, I might be confusing it with like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but do, do they, do they use any shots that kind of subtly reference like a comic book? Or they actually have off? two complete sections that are just animated versions of the comic book. It's where Ramona is uh, telling the backstory of two of the evil exes. Oh, okay. What's I was wondering. though, is that one of those, I'm pretty sure, is actually changed, which is very interesting for me. Like the drawings or like the actual backstory? Was the backstory. Oh, okay. Potentially the drawing too. Yeah. So like was the movie one of those uh, adaptations where like it, it was able to take the best parts of the comic and just make it its own thing? Because um, you said it's very different, right? But did it like... I... You think it took the right things out or what? So it's difficult for me to say because I think that like if I were recommending someone to read the comic, I wouldn't recommend skipping any parts of it. Like it's really, really good as a complete story. And I think that you need every part of that story. But when it was adapted as a movie, it takes the bullet points of that story. Like the main plot of Scott Pilgrim versus the world involves this fight versus all seven evil exes. And so it keeps that core plot and sort of changes the connecting tissue of it just enough that it can bring together most of what people like about the comic with the plot and make it all happen in a much condensed timeline. The biggest important part, and this is what this is the reason that I think it's a really good adaptation, even though it's not necessarily a close adaptation, it changes the message of the story just a little bit. And the way that it does it, like everything feeds into it, but it manages to tell a story with a through line without having to go through an entire year of everyone's life. I guess what I want to say is if we we'll talk about the movie later, but when we're talking about the movie, the idea of this movie is like it's very much Scott's journey. It goes through Scott, like going through this bad breakup having a rebound girlfriend, trying to get a different girlfriend, and at the very end realizing that like he doesn't need to be defined by his girlfriend and he needs to stop being an asshole to everyone around him. He just needs to be a good person or mm-hmm. something like that. That's the final message of the movie. And while that's part of the final bit of the comic, the comic has enough time with all of these characters where sort of everyone goes through their own personal journey and by the end like they're all just more grown up than they were a year ago. And I think that would be very difficult to do in one movie. And I don't think you need to. And I think what the movie does is it takes the main core of that comic, which is Scott Pilgrim, condenses his journey without really changing it too much and changes the stuff around it just enough that while unfortunately we don't get as much as of Kim's story or as much of Ramona's story, those stories are like, those people are still characters without being reduced to plot points. 
while like still retaining as much as we can of their stories. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I, in my opinion, like the movie did feel like the whole seven X's thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it does feel very like for a comic because it'd be like each, I don't, I don't know how the comics work, but it feels like each section, like you might have an intro and then each chapter or whatever would be like the next X. Right. And like that's, their own, that's their own, basically it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what kind of, threw me off in the movie because like you said in the comics it happens over like a year about right Mm -hmm. whereas like in this i couldn't really tell how long but it felt like a week or so i checked while i was watching it it's around three weeks yeah okay they actually give you a very handy timestamp tool in the movie wait they do wait when when ramona changes her hair the first time uh scott Scott goes your hair it's blue and she goes yeah i change my hair every one every week and a half and it changes three times. She changes right? it twice. So it's Oh yeah, twice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to touch on the movie too much right now, but that did that did kind of throw me off because I was like, this feels very much like it belongs more in a book, if that makes sense. Because I think it it kind of hurt the movie in terms of pacing and kind of like looking too far in advance, if that makes sense. Like each X didn't feel like their own story and special. Whereas I feel like in the comic, yeah. you can really hone in on this is its own story that is overarching. So it almost like, I guess like it would, would have fit better in a TV show. Like each episode is fo- focused on an X. Well, that's, that's basically what it is in the movie. Each of the X's has their own little scene and you get to learn just a little bit about them, but really all you get to learn about them is who they are. And then they mm-hmm. have a boss fight. And like the movie is a boss mm-hmm. rush in the comic books. The way that those play out is each X kind of, reflects what Scott and Ramona's relationship is going through at the time. So like the entire third book, which is called Scott Pilgrim and the infinite sadness is envy Adams comes back to Toronto to do a show. And envy Adams is Scott's ex-girlfriend. That was like the really bad breakup. And her boyfriend is Todd Ingram, who was a really bad breakup for Ramona. So like that book Scott Pilgrim and the Infinite Sadness is about like Scott confronting what he did in his past that like hurt his ex-girlfriend in such a way that that breakup happened and like how much he was or wasn't at fault with that. And it's about Ramona also confronting like her history with Todd. And at the time, Ramona and Scott are kind of going through a lot anyway, because the fight with Lucas Lee is weird and Scott doesn't like it. So, you know, at that point, they're sort of figuring stuff out. And that whole book is about them confronting their pasts. And then the next one, Ramona and Scott briefly break up. And then, you know, they have to confront that. Ramona had a phase where um, she went out with Roxy. I don't remember her name. That's the reason she keeps saying evil exes, not Mm. evil ex-boyfriends. And so, like, Roxy comes back to town and Roxy, like doesn't want to fight anybody. She just wants to get back with Ramona and like, she just wants to kind of be friends. So her and Ramona start talking and like hanging out a lot more. Scott doesn't see Ramona very much, but another friend from his high school comes to visit and it's a friend that had a crush on him in high school. So like he has to deal with that. And that book is about like, they're going through a time where they just kind of don't see each other. There's not really, their relationship isn't on the rocks. They're just like, it's a busy time of the year. So they don't see each other very much and like how that plays with them. So each book sort of has 
a relevant bad guy whose entire purpose is to sort of mirror what Scott and Ramona's relationship is going through at the time. And that's a lot harder to do in a movie that's two hours long. Yeah, especially like I think Edgar Wright really likes to keep very tight pacing. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff he kind of had to ditch, which is unfortunate because there was some parts he had to keep. Like I think the seven deadly X's is like not really an element you can take away. It's kind of the main thing of the movie. Yeah. But anyways, like so like do you do you think the like do you see a lot of influence on like comics today or like any media from from the from like the comic book series directly? Uh, how how do you mean? Because it's more of like a is it more of a it's not like a huge mainstream thing. It's more of like a cult, like a cult, uh, like a small audience, like small strong audience. Would you say, or was it very mainstream when it came out? I'm not sure. I think it was like it was big. It wasn't like X Men big, but as far as indie comics go, I know it was like it was a bigger one. I don't think it ever got quite mainstream because like I know I still had to go hunting for the six books when I wanted to get them. Mm, I okay. I got really lucky and found them all in a used bookstore in London for like 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. So that worked out. But yeah. So yeah. Well, would you say like, like the animation style or any of the comedy or the type of story? Like, do you see, or I don't know how many comics do you, but do you, do you notice that in any media? Like where you're like, Oh, this feels very Scott Pilgrim-y or something like that. I don't know if I would say anything feels specifically Scott Pilgrim-y, but like, I think I've seen this a similar style of humor since because Scott Pilgrim was just kind of it came out in 2006 and the humor is very that generation. It's very millennial humor. Like there's a lot of video game references. It's all about like people being what for 2006 especially was realistically poor in the big city. Like there's a lot of music references, but it's all like indie bands because that's what was cool at the time. I wouldn't say that Scott Pilgrim is exactly like a period piece or anything, but it really is like a time capsule of that time in Eastern Canada, I guess. Yeah. And it, it's it's pretty interesting to look at because, you know, it's that book could not have been written in 2020, for example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least from watching the movie, there are a couple jokes that feel a little dated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. In the comic. Oh, they are. I think okay, I know cool. the ones you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool that, I mean, I feel like Canada gets so few media, like big media spotlights. So it was really cool seeing anything based in Toronto, for example. I think that's awesome. Uh, I was going to ask one more thing. Like, how would, do, do you think the the actors captured their characters in any way? Or was it like the same thing with the movie in general, just kind of capturing its own themes? I definitely think the actors were very good for the roles. I honestly can't complain about any of them. If I really had to pick a worst actor for any of these, I would say like either the Karayanagi twins that barely come up because in, in the books they have extremely scant personalities. Like they're there for a couple of minutes, but they basically don't exist either. And in the movie, they're, it's just worse. They're just basically not a thing. But of all the characters in the movie that are actually like, major characters the one i think is the least like his comic book uh self is gideon graves gideon graves is actually quite close to how he is in the comic book just that in the comic book he's even more of a creep like he is shockingly creepy in the comic book uh at the very end gideon graves actually has seven ex-girlfriends 
not evil ex-girlfriends. They're ex-girlfriends that he's like put on ice and cryogenically frozen because he's like, oh, eventually they didn't want to go out with me anymore. So I cryogenically froze them and eventually I'm going to thaw them out and then they'll say yes. That is really creepy. (laughs) Yeah. And also, uh, well, I mean, Gideon Graves is also way less powerful in the movie. Like in the book, he just, he's actually, ultimately, he's kind of the reason that all of the weird stuff in the movie and books happens. Like the book exists in a pretty hyper exaggerated universe. There's a scene in the movie where Scott Pilgrim is, he's being asked by Ramona about his relationship with Kim. And he says, at one point he gets mad and he just goes, okay, I had to fight 96 dudes to get to the boss, uh, to save her from this boss. And he was 80, he was 90 feet tall and he was a huge asshole, but it was super hard to kill him, but I did it. Okay. And like, it sounds like he's just making fun of the whole situation that he's in where Ramona has seven evil ex-boyfriends he has to fight. But actually that's a reference to a real scene in the comic book that like, that's the way he remembers it. He actually had to fight an entire school full of dudes to beat up this boss of the school full of dudes that was like 80 feet tall. And like when that scene is presented to you, you're just like, oh, this is just the reality that we're living in right now. All right. But then it's later on revealed that Gideon has the ability to just alter people's perceptions of reality, which which is non-metaphorically why Scott perceives the world as a video game. Metaphorically, he perceives the world as a video game because, you know, that's a storytelling device to show you exactly how he sees the world and how he approaches life. But like non-metaphorically, the reason he sees the world as as much of a video game as he does is because Gideon Graves has a way of getting in people's heads, literally. Yeah, I guess they don't go to that length. I think that might have been too hard to explain in the movie. Yeah, it's definitely a lot. Yeah. The comic does a lot of things where it'll like, it'll just present you with a wild concept and explain it only as much as it needs to. And in a comic, you can get away with way wilder things than in a movie. Yeah, well, apparently. So (laughs) it's like with a book, though, like especially with more time. And I feel like with a comic, everything feels really fast paced anyways. Mm -hmm. Like I've never felt like a comic drags because you can just kind of read through panels as quickly as you want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like you you can get a lot away with like, I feel like sometimes more exposition and stuff like that. Whereas a movie, it's really tough. Yeah, I guess the last thing I would say is like, as far as adaptation goes, I'm I'm always tempted when I'm when I have the ability to compare something that is adapted with what it with the thing that it's adapted from. I'm always tempted to say like the movie is better than the book or the book is better than the movie. Like I'm tempted to make a judgment there. With Scott Pilgrim, I really don't think that judgment is super meaningful. I really connected with the book and like I would definitely recommend it to anyone, especially if you're like between the ages of 22 and 30, I, I feel like it w- it resonated more with me because I am 28 and like, I'm just, I'm just a little older than Scott is at the end of the book. The biggest thing that's unfortunate about the movie, but I don't think it would have worked is because of the way the story is told in the movie, the movie has no way to really adapt to the book, Scott Pilgrim's Finest Hour, which is the last one, which is where all of the plot threads wrap up and we find out what happened to every character. And like, it literally just starts with, it's been a couple of months 
everyone's already basically gone their own ways and like, well, we still got to wrap up the story and it's really good. I would say that the last book in that series is by far my favorite. And I think that the way it wraps everything up is just perfect. And unfortunately the movie doesn't really have a way to adapt that, which is unfortunate, but also it wouldn't have fit. I think what Mm -hmm. the movie does really well is it starts at the beginning And all of the people that are acting in the movie are basically perfectly embodying where their characters are temporally at the beginning of that story. The only thing that you miss out that you really, really miss out with on the movie is like the characters do not evolve in the same way because they don't have the time. And I think that's the way it has to be for the movie. Like it would not be possible to adapt the books in such a way where you get that full year, in my opinion. At least it wouldn't be possible to do it well. And I think that this movie, by condensing the timeline and focusing it a lot more on Scott, I don't know if I would have thought to do that if I was Edgar Wright. I mean, I'm not Edgar Wright, so I can't say for sure. But like, I think it was the best decision he could have made when adapting those when adapting this book. Yeah, and I mean, it's Edgar Wright, so I feel like he must have made some pretty good decisions. <laughs> as he is a great director. (laughs) We're gonna take a quick break and we'll talk more about the movie side of this uh, equation. (laughs) Sounds cool. Hi, this is Dakota, host of ContraZoom Pod, where we go back and forth about film. I am obsessed with movies. I could talk about them all day. And if you're like me, then you'll love my podcast. Every week we take a new topic, whether it's ranking a director's filmography, covering major film festivals, or getting way into Oscar season. While every week is different, we do have some recurring topics, like our Make Remake series looking at an original film and its remake, or our very popular A History Of program, taking an in-depth look, looking at some of the biggest companies involved in film, including Criterion, A24, and Neon. It isn't all super serious topics, though, as we always need to play catch-up with all the hottest Marvel Cinematic Universe news and general pop culture goings-on. There's something for every kind of movie lover, whether you want reviews, interviews, or in-depth conversations. ContraZoom Pod is found on all podcatcher apps, and visit ContraZoomPod.com for even more information. And we're back. We're talking about Scott Pilgrim today. Well, we basically already summarized the entire movie. Like, technically, I summarized the comics just now. But, like, I mean, I told you what's different in the movie. And, like, it's the same thing. I think if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim, I mean, if you made it this far in the podcast, you kind of know what it's about. Pierre, what did you think about... What did you actually think about the movie? Because we just talked a lot about the comics. Yeah. I want to know what you actually thought about this. We just rewatched this movie. This is a movie I've heard of so much. And I've heard so many people praise and adore it's like one of my friends favorite movie i know it's one of your favorite movies right i believe it was for a long time i don't think i'd put it quite that high anymore but like Mm -hmm. when i was in high school uh, for a while me and my friends would just watch this movie we would watch it like every couple of weeks i've seen this movie probably more than i've seen any other movie wow okay uh yeah so (laughs) i think it's a solid movie i just think it's really 
there's a lot of parts of it that don't work in my opinion. So I really respect it. I always respect Edgar Wright as a director. I think he has some, I mean, I think Hot Fuzz is probably one of the greatest, if if not the greatest like comedy of all time. Oh yeah. And like uh, Shaun of the Dead is an amazing movie as well. I, I do love The World's End too. I'm not a big fan of his blockbuster endeavors or block like quote unquote blockbuster endeavors because you know, like Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver aren't like huge, huge movies. Mm-hmm. But I think he he's very much, at least in when it comes to like these types of movies, he's very he feels very style over substance. And that's why a lot of this movie doesn't work because it, it just feels like it's shoving stuff. It's shoving these cool, creative things in my face for not much of a reason that adds anything to it. It's just kind of there to because it's it's fun and interesting. Um, obviously some of it's there because of the comics but well i did actually want to point out on that note there's an author's note in one of the comic books where he goes through and he talks about his creative process and the interesting thing about brian Lee O'Malley is he self-describes himself as not a very visual person and i don't know i'm not gonna tell him he's wrong there but edgar wright i get the impression is a very visual person and that really comes across in this movie where a lot of the a lot of the coolest parts of this movie what makes this movie as unique as it is is the visuals and there's so much attention to detail in the visuals i mean i find that really interesting that like brian lee o'malley isn't a very visual person but edgar wright is like one of the most visual people yeah well maybe the thinking was like he could he could take a non great visual story if, if that's what you're saying. I that's, don't know what's That's not what I'm it. saying. Because it is actually a very great story. It's just that oh, Brian Lee O'Malley doesn't like... He doesn't think visually. Oh, okay. He draws visually. But like yeah. when he's planning out his comic, he like will write a script rather than you oh, know, necessarily storyboards. Uh, yeah. I I didn't like it for some of those reasons. I like Again, I think technically it's an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could never take that away from Edgar Wright. But there's just like a lot of parts like I don't care about the characters. I think they're all kind of assholes, if that makes <laughs> sense. Like, which is weird because I usually like movies about assholes, but it feels like I'm supposed to care about Scott Pilgrim. And like, he's supposed to be relatable because it's a coming of age story, right? I yeah. mean, there's other movies where the like all the coming of age stories, the characters are assholes, kind of like, mm-hmm. I love Superbad. I love American Graffiti, but a lot of the characters there aren't very nice. In this, it just didn't feel, like, right. Like, I didn't get to know the characters enough to care about them, so they just felt like cartoonish assholes, mm-hmm. and I never related to them in many ways. Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about earlier, where that's much different in the comic. These characters are the same characters, but here we get to see them for roughly three weeks, where in the comic we stay with them for a year. So like. Scott starts off as an asshole and by the end, he's still kind of an asshole, but he's grown a lot. And then at the very end, he's grown enough as a person that he actually does belong with Ramona and then they try it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And like all of the characters, they all have their own little quirks and all of them start off basically as assholes, but they grow and change over the course of a year where these are the same characters but here we're only seeing them for a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like the the ending as well doesn't feel earned in many ways because mm-hmm. he he does kind of feel like the same character. Ramona feels like the same character. The only one that kind of changes the most to me is like Knives, if that makes sense. I thought yeah. her. I think her arc is kind of interesting, um, even though it's a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, and also like like I talked a little earlier, I didn't think it'd be that bad, but like just I I hate I don't like movies that kind of outline like there's seven X's and then it kind of felt like a chore to go through each one. I think it like really hurts the pacing because then my mind is like, okay, how many X's left are there? If that makes sense, right? I don't know why that really bothers me, especially since some of them, even the movies kind of like there's too many X's. Let's kind of not make a big deal out of a couple of them like the the two twins at the end aren't really characters at all like they don't really do anything the twins are done dirty also mm. by brian leo malley like they're bigger characters in the comics but they're almost non-entities just entirely yeah well it definitely feels like they they kind of got to the last leg of the movie i don't know about the book but or the comic but in the movie and they're just like this there's too many like we gotta <laughs> like just let these guys go same thing with roxy is that the female one yeah she felt very like shoved in and like i thought her fight was really lame too like at least some of the other fights were kind of interesting mm-hmm. but like hers just felt kind of shoved in and like purposeless again so like that's it felt like a even the movie was like it's a chore for some of these characters let's just toss them out of the way right um and give them like kind of like five minute plot lines that don't really lead anywhere Mm-hmm. Uh, because again like from roxy her being in that movie nothing changes like you could cut her scene out completely and just call it like six evil exes and nothing would change like none of the characters or plot beats really would be affected from mm-hmm. what i can tell so it's just like even it's just felt like even the movie didn't care that much some of them are really good though i think chris evans like that fight scene in general was extremely interesting i love chris evans in that role I think the whole playing the dynamic with like the stunt doubles and like how how he was killed was kind of funny. I think the whole way that that scene plays out is really, really good, too. Like not just the part that you've talked about, but that's uh, Scott's first official date with Ramona Mm -hmm. as his roommate Wallace Wells is leaving. He's like, I'll see you in 60 minutes. And then it, the framing device is every is like it'll show a title card that says 15 minutes later, 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later. Mm-hmm. And at every single part, it's like how he's specifically currently failing at this date. Yeah. <laughs> and then exactly 60 minutes later, oops, they're on their way to the castle to go see Lucas Lee. And then stuff happens. You know, that, that scene in general is actually really good. And that's at this, well, that's mm-hmm. the thing that was like at earlier in the movie. So I think everything felt fresh and I it felt like the movie was allowed to take time to really create a, a cool scene, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and that, that's the thing too, like that fight in general was probably the least effects heavy fight until like Chris or Lucas Lee goes onto the the skateboard railing and dies from yeah. doing a trick, right? But before that, it's a pretty basic fight. Mm-hmm. Like there's cool stuff, you know, like the stunt double stuff and him bragging about like Oscars or like awards and stuff like that, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, the more grounded the fight was, like I think they played a lot more with like visual gags. Whereas the other ones, I think way too effects heavy. And I just, again, it was like a lot of stuff put on the screen and it just wasn't interesting enough to really keep me invested like a lot of visual effects that i didn't care for yeah i gotta say i mean we keep coming back to it but the twins fight is really a letdown because it's just like the twins summon two plasma effects dragons and scott summons a cgi monkey (laughs) and they fight yeah and it's like why and it wasn't interesting at all i don't know so stuff like that and and like sometimes it's even the visual gags or maybe not even visual but like uh, like for example, this really bothered me. But there's like a Seinfeld reference where they do the kind of the theme song and do the classic framing of outside the apartment or whatever. But 
I've seen a lot of Seinfeld and like all I can tell the reference was was that they had the music, right? And it was Pretty like much. the cl- I guess it was kind of the classic like someone comes in and they talk about like girl problems or something like that. Well, like, there was a laugh track. There was a laugh track, but even like it what didn't feel like it just felt like it was placed there and it wasn't made to reference anything in particular because mm-hmm. there's no Seinfeld references in there other than the music. It just felt like a way for Edgar Wright to have something flashy in that scene mm-hmm. and give off some boring dialogue before moving to the next scene, if that makes sense. And I think that's right. a lot of this movie is he's tied. He doesn't like dialogue. He wants to get as much interesting visual cues as he can between scenes, which is cool. I, I think that's smart. Like a lot of directors use that as a creative way of letting loose a bunch of exposition and stuff like that. But there's just a lot of it. It, it felt like, I guess, you know, like the, I, I don't, did we talk? No, we never talked about The Revenant. No, we did. We talked about The Revenant. Yeah. And we said how, I remember that movie. It's really good, but a lot of the movie is just, a lot of visual stuff, like a lot of very pretty cinematography that doesn't yeah. really build to anything, if that makes sense. So it, it's like the same thing with this movie. If the visual gags added more to the plot. I would have liked it more, but it's just like a lot of stuff being thrown at the wall and some of it sticks and some, a lot of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. Sorry. I feel like I'm trashing on this movie too much. It's, it's, it is still a good movie. I like it. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying, though. And, like, Edgar Wright tries to go for the same style of humor as the book does. And, like, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like, the Seinfeld gag is one that I think I know what he's going for. As you said, it's flashy. He's getting through some what he probably considers really boring exposition. And also it does sort of show you, it does sh- sort of give you an inside an inside look into Scott's mind at the time. Because he comes in, he's feeling good. Uh, the Seinfeld music is saying is going. He goes, "Guess who got a date?" And the uh, and the laugh track goes, "Ha ha 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 ha!" And so, like this whole time, it's like a really good situation. But that scene ends with Wallace Wells giving him an ultimatum to break up with his fake high school girlfriend, which is where that all of the Seinfeld stuff immediately stops. So, like, I get what he's going for. Did it work entirely? I mean, I understood it, but I don't know it may or may not have been the most effective way to get that point across, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah. But this movie is actually super important for a different reason that we haven't even talked about yet. So, like, we've already said, people are probably thinking that's a way for me to segue into talking about Anna Kendrick. It is, but that's not what I'm saying here. (laughs) Actually, this movie is the first collaboration between Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza which happens a lot. They've been in a lot of movies together that we're going to talk, and we're going to talk about all of them. But this is the first time they were in a movie together. I didn't know that. I didn't know they were in a lot of movies together. That's oh, cool. yeah. We're, we're going to do a full Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick episode coming up. Mm. Pierre, later on, I can show you what it is on the spreadsheet. It's just a little <laughs> bit of behind-the-scenes talk. Yeah. Well, speaking but, of, like, the movie's impeccably casted. Oh yeah, like Anna Kendrick's one of them, but like Aubrey Plaza is amazing in this. Michael Sarah does his thing; <laughs> like he's he's really good in this. Knives was really the actress for Knives was really good. Ellen Wong, a lot of the act the exes were really cool. I think like Chris Evans was amazing. I think Brie Larson was pretty good in this. I think the one that played Roxy, I recognize her from Arrested Development. I did like I her despite not doing much. Yeah, Mae Whitman. So such good casting in this. Really, really mm-hmm. good. I don't know what else to say. It was no, just... I, I was just going to say, what did you think specifically of Julie and Stacy? I'll bet you thought I was going to ask you about Anna Kendrick, but no, yeah, I, I, I want to know it. what you think about Aubrey Plaza in this. 
I thought she was probably one of the best roles in this. Um, for like the amount of screen time, I guess I think she just did really good. Like I guess it kind of fits into her usual like character. It's almost like it was almost like typecasting because I don't know when Parks and Rec came out, but I think it was a couple years before that. Was so it? it makes sense that yeah, it was like two thousand eight, I think, or two thousand seven. Okay. But yeah, no, she was she was great. Honestly, probably the best the performance I I like. Between her and Chris Evans, honestly, that I like the most in this. Mm-hmm. And she added a lot despite not really having much effect on the movie. So, Well, yeah, her um, entire yeah. character is that she knows everybody. She has all the parties and she hates everybody. That's her whole character. It seems and, like, like she's she super good at that. hates Scott from what I can tell. I say she hates everybody. But like that's with the caveat that realistically we only see Scott's perspective here. So... Actually, she just hates Scott. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. And also, she has the weird little visual effect where, like, every time she swears, her mouth has a little censored bar over it. Oh, yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, I don't know why that's what they went with, but it was done really well, and it was really funny. Like, one of the best visual gags in the movie. Yeah, I was like, that's one of those instances where Edward Wright shows something, and it really worked. Like, I thought it, like, was part of what made the characters so cool. I was actually very surprised to see that that doesn't happen once in the books when I went back. I'm like, oh, this is a this is an Edgar Wright original, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it would make books. it would make a lot of sense in the book. Um, but yeah. Anyways, like, uh, yeah, she was great. Um, and I have to say that like Anna Kendrick was cast perfectly as Stacy Pilgrim in this. Like, this is one of my favorite Anna Kendrick performances so far, mm. and like. Literally her entire character in this is just, she's Wallace's gossip buddy. Wallace, yeah. <laughs> will, Wallace will pick up the phone and then Scott will pick up the phone because it's ringing and Stacy already knows some juicy piece of gossip, even though Wallace hasn't even started talking yet. <laughs> yeah, there was some really cool things like that. that uh, like that, th- those were hilarious moments. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked how, I guess she she seemed kind of, I mean, it might have been because it's Anna Kendrick, but she seemed like the most, she seemed like the straight man character out of everyone. Yeah, pretty much. And she, like, she was looking at Scott's position objectively, and she was kind of like his conscious and helped him like, I guess, think through things. But, um, and she had a relatively limited role, but. I would say she's less the straight man than Kim. I think Kim Pine is like the real straight man of this movie. Which one's Kim Pine? Drummer. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. But, yeah, and I, I liked how I, I don't know if this is true, but like the only time we see them together in a scene, like in person, I think is when she is being a good sister, I guess, and like giving him or trying to be supportive. We see them in the same room before that, but that's the only time we see them together and interacting. Yes. Was what was the other the one? the first show that Sex Bomb plays? Stacy Pilgrim is there in the background. Oh, I see. Watching. Oh, okay, cool. But yeah. Anyways, I, I thought it was I thought it was cool. Like a lot of the time, phone conversations in movies are like just kind of shot very lamely, but this made it really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's another one of the ways Edgar Wright's does well, I guess, in that area. Yeah. But yeah, I thought she was a she was a great character, and again, her casting was used very well. Like, it was for a very like relatively subdued role compared to everyone else, but I still think she like did an amazing job considering you know. Like she made it, she made it a a good character. That might be like the best part of this movie is that all of the side characters are cast so well. Mm -hmm, Like uh, the one that always stands out to me, I want to talk about him, but there's just not that much to say, but I'll talk about him anyway. Nelson, I forget his last name. I can't remember his last name, but the guy who plays Como, 
whose entire character is he's the guy at the party who knows everyone. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter yeah. who who he knows them. So yeah. like Scott shows him a really crudely drawn picture of like a bunch of squiggles, and he's like, ah, yes, that's Ramona Flowers. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Here's her backstory, and she's over there. <laughs> yeah. And all of these characters, the moment you see them, it's like, oh yeah, okay. I th- I, that makes sense. Yeah. They're all just really well cast, even if they exist for like two minutes in the movie. Yeah, a lot of. I mean, I, I'm, I almost want to say it's a very Edgar Wright thing. At least in in his comedy movies, a lot of the side characters are very memorable for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, I feel like Michael Sarah was unfortunately kind of typecast in this, but I think his vibe works really well. Especially, I never saw him being able to. I guess, be the main character of a movie. I think that might have been some of the problem because I think it was, in a ways, it was kind of tiring seeing Michael Sarah be such a focus for the whole movie. Like, mm-hmm. But I still think he played it really, really well too. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of goes both ways. And this might be like his best role, I guess, as an actor. I want to say like, well, I guess like in a way that I think uses him the best. I think yeah. like movies like Superbad were probably better a better movie but like it didn't have to be michael sarah yeah exactly i think michael sarah was an amazing get for it but like theoretically it could have been someone else i guess Mm -hmm. but this one was like it definitely felt like michael sarah could was the only actor that could have played scott pilgrim because if the movie felt tailored toward him if that makes sense yeah exactly Uh, yeah so like that I, i feel bad for like like kind of being mean to it a lot i think it there's a lot this movie's extremely creative and i admire it a lot and the, like some of the gags you brought up were like like you're right i laughed like they were hilarious you know mm. um and they're things like you never see in movies so i appreciate that it's just yeah i feel like it gets distracted at times but i, I still think it's like a very respectable movie and probably one of the most memorable movies i've ever seen which in the end i think is a good thing mm-hmm. it's like because i've seen great movies that i forget this is a movie that i think is all right, but I will remember forever because it's very unique. And what really makes me happy about this, I've said it once, this movie is pretty aggressively Canadian. And like, Mm -hmm. I really like that such a memorable, unique movie is also Canadian. Like Canadian movies don't get played at all. Like look up Canadian cinema, you will see something completely different than than anything that's in your local theater. It's so weird. But then this movie... Technically, like, it's made by a Brit, and a lot of the people in this movie aren't Canadian, but, like, everything about this movie is so tailor-made to be like, yeah, this is Toronto, by the way. Oh, this is Canada. Everything short of everybody saying A all the time. Not that it doesn't happen, but, like, it's not, it's not, they don't make an intentional effort to speak in stereotypes yeah i I do love how they didn't shy away from it or like try to make it like a nameless city or just like change it into seattle or something like that like they did they own the setting of it Mm -hmm. they own they own the city and again i feel like it it gives toronto like a cultured feel if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it puts it up there with cities like new york and la for it's one of the great cities yeah exactly that's what gideon says (laughs) so i guess this is the last episode in this part of kicking it with Kendrick. Now, like I say that, and that makes it sound like we're taking a break. We're not. It's just that like, so far we've been talking about Anna Kendrick movies where she's basically only a supporting role. I would say the exceptions to that are kind of rocket science and definitely elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But like after this movie, we're going to start talking about 
movies where Anna Kendrick is like a big player, except I guess one that I've seen in advance and she's like barely in it. But aside from that, when we did our Leonardo DiCaprio podcast, a big part of ending off each segment was ranking all of these movies by their Leo performance and also by just which movies you thought were best. Would you like to do that with these? Sure, I can try. I uh, wasn't prepared, so I didn't write this down ahead of time. We have Rocket Science. Camp. Twilight, which you can consider as one film if you want. Thank God. (laughs) Elsewhere, End of Watch, and Scott Pilgrim. Cool. There you go first. I would say that for me, the best movie of the bunch is, it's close. It's really close because for me, it's like, it's either End of Watch or Scott Pilgrim and ask me on any given day and I will probably like say the other one. But I think that today I'm going to put End of Watch as number one and Scott Pilgrim as number two. And then after that, I would go Twilight, Rocket Science, Camp, and then elsewhere at the bottom. But in terms of Anna Kendrick performances, I would probably say I'd, I'd put Scott Pilgrim at the top and then Rocket Science, Camp, Elsewhere, and End of Watch at the bottom. Because, like, it's not that, well, Twilight at the bottom. Twilight at the bottom and End of Watch right next to the bottom. Because those are just movies where she doesn't have yeah. enough to do. That's really all it is. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I, I mostly agree. I think, like, End of Watch, uh, for movies, End of Watch first, Scott Pilgrim. This is where it gets risky. Rocket Science, Twilight, Elsewhere Camp. Okay. And then for Anna Kendrick roles, probably Scott Pilgrim first, Rocket Science second, Twilight third, Camp four, Elsewhere five, End of Watch six, last. Mm-hmm. Because, again, she didn't do anything in that movie. Like, yeah. She literally could have been anyone, in my opinion, and it probably would have worked. Straight up, like, I don't even know that she was the best actress for that movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you'd put Michelle Williams there instead, maybe better? Definitely at least the same. She kind of does the same thing in Venom, and she's very good at it. Yeah. I don't know. She brings a lot of charisma to that. But yeah, anyways. Anyway, Um, next time, we're going to do another one where we talk about a bunch of movies at once, because I only wanted to do one Pitch Perfect episode, so we're going to talk about all of those. Wow. Get ready to talk about a lot of musicals. Well, potentially, we will sing. But probably not. Uh, Maybe you will. (laughs) We are Sex Bob-Omb, and we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff! I hear the voices, I hear the voices, the tremor of calm.